He's defeated sin and death, and he reigns. Yes. <laughs> How awesome is that? And we get to rise with him. Yes. And that's what Todd's going to be preaching about. So I get the opportunity to read the passage from 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are we, are those who are of the dust. And, is, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Todd's going to come up in a second, but kids, you're dismissed. praise God for his magnificent word. I praise God for a moment while the word is being read to be able to collect myself after singing such an incredibly powerful song. And I know as I look around the room right now that there are some that that can um, relate to me. Because when you've lived long enough, the Lord walks you up to the edge of the valley of the shadow of death enough times and he ushers you down into the valley of the shadow of death and and in those places when you see the hand of God when you are able to experience his presence and he puts songs like that in your heart and then when he brings you out of the valley 
and he reestablishes you. He puts your feet on a, on a rock. He gives you a firm place to stand. You start moving through life again. You come to moments like this where you remember. How absolutely faithful he is. And then, even while you're able to look and see how magnificent that valley experience was, he brings you to the mountaintop, and you have these incredible life experiences, and you can still declare that same truth, how holy is our God. And then he's like, you have no idea what is in store for you my child this is natural this is what you experience here on this earth this pales in comparison to what I have in store he says for the one that believes in my resurrection I went to the cross for you because I love you I laid my life down for you I live today and I am in the process of putting all of our enemies under my feet And because I have risen from the dead, I am coming back one day and I'm going to bring you home to be with me where we can enjoy physical relationship together from now until forevermore. That's today's sermon for real. That's exactly what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian church. That's exactly what he's telling you and me. This passes away, but eventually we rule and reign with him for all of eternity in his physical presence. Before we go to his word, let's ask the Lord's hand of blessing on it. Well, Lord, time is so fleeting, but your word is so powerful. And I'm asking, Lord, in this moment with um, the next half hour, 35 minutes or so that you have determined for the finish or for the completion of the fulfillment of this service. Lord, I ask, as always, that you would stand between myself and the church. I pray, God, that they would hear your voice and that there would be nothing in this room that would distract them, distract us from hearing you speak. Holy Spirit of God, move, touch hearts, convict hearts, comfort hearts, and point our focus to you always, we pray. Jesus, in your mighty name, amen. Paul spent 14 chapters bringing correction to the Corinthian church. We know that. We spent um, a number of months in chapters 12, 13, and 14 as we watched him bring correction to the way things happened within the worship service. Then he redirects their focus and he says, what I want right now for us is our eyes to turn. I want you to think about eternity because it's coming. All this is gonna pass away, but one thing will remain, and that is me and eternity, and his, his, his great plea is that we would be there with him. So he comes to chapter 15, and he starts convincing the skeptic in the church that has a hard time believing in the resurrection, that there's actually a physical experience beyond death. He spends chapter 15 trying to convince them of this truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 20. Um, You can turn there now if you would, please. We're not starting at verse 20, but I just, by way of reminder, 
But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It is a truth. It is etched in the word of God. It is forever and eternal that Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have died. For as by a man came death, and that is Adam, when he determined to make a poor choice and brought sin into this world, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, the man of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. For as in Adam all die, you and I will eventually face death unless Christ comes back to take us home to be with him beforehand. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, in Christ shall all be made alive." In Christ begins with this church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing you can ever hear and receive. It's what Paul says, I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He died. He was buried in a tomb for three days. And that he was raised on the third day to life in accordance with the scriptures. For as in all, as as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You must receive the truth in order to be in Christ, that Christ died, he was buried, and he raised again, and he's living right now. If you believe that truth, and you give your life to him, and serve him for the rest of your born days, you are in Christ. And so, because of that wonderful truth of what Jesus did for us, we should spend the rest of our lives living for him, right? Paul says in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. You're God's temple, and his spirit dwells in you. And so, because he has given us of himself by his spirit, we are his temple, we should be serving him. He goes on later in chapter 6, where he says, you were bought with a price through through the cross of Jesus Christ. He purchased your way to be in everlasting relationship with him. And so he says, because you were bought with a price, so we should spend the rest of our lives glorifying him in our body. That's an easy thing to read. It's a hard thing to actually put into practice, isn't it? We have inside of us the Holy Spirit of God drawing us ever heavenward toward Christ in our relationship with him forever drawing us toward him. And at the same time, we still live here on this earth with our flesh that is of this earth, it is natural, that wants to continue to draw us down toward the grave. Spirit drawing us into life and our flesh drawing us into the grave. It's hard, isn't it? But we're commanded, we're exhorted Because of what Christ did for us, therefore we should live for him while we are here in the flesh. Not serving the desires of our flesh, but serving him. This past week when I sent out my request for prayer um, to those that pray for me, uh, my list of 60 or so people, I asked them this question. Given that you will one day receive a brand new resurrected body, that's what's coming, 
What is the change you most look forward to? And they're declaring in their responses to this question, they're declaring, I get the struggle. I am ready to be home and be with God, yet I want to live for him here, and I know that my flesh continues to pull me to the grave. So listen, listen to your church respond to that question. What is the thing you most look forward to, physically speaking, when you enter into eternity and you receive your resurrected body? One says, I am written. Now listen to the maturity of these. Listen to how mature these are. I'm like celebrating that this is our church. They're not so much worried. They're not so much looking forward to what happens to their body that aches and demands pills. They're looking forward to the day when freedom from sin and temptation is no longer, freedom from sin and temptation is no longer a battle for me. The number one thing I'm looking forward to is being in the presence of Christ and finally grasping the fullness of his love. The same person says, number two, that I would be without sin. The older I get, the more I get sick and tired of my selfishness and my pride and my corrupt heart. I've thought of this often as I age And the thing I look forward to most is death, the complete eradication of my sin nature within me. I'm gone forever to be with the Lord. But while I remain, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Another says, my thoughts over the past couple of days, my emotions are who I am. They make me who I am. I don't think of them as a hindrance because they're pointing him to his great need for Jesus. Two things that I would say I look forward to when I receive my glorified body. No more pill taking. Yeah, it hurts to live here, doesn't it? No more pill taking. Two, no no more pill taking. And even better, the day will come when I will have full understanding and knowledge of who God is. Another says, This year has definitely been a challenge physically for me. Personally, I'm looking forward to a body with no aches and pains. Yes, no weaknesses. A body that does what you need it to do. Yet, I'm also looking forward to a kind that is solely focused on God and not challenged and tempted by this world. Passage states that the first man is of the earth. I feel that physically today. I feel like I'm from here. It's cumbersome and unwieldy. I'm looking forward to having an origin from heaven where the natural state is not burdensome, but rather strong, confident, and joyful. Like a screwdriver, listen to this, like a screwdriver that has been used like a hammer for 35 years that finally gets to turn a screw. Joni Erickson taught to put it this way. If you know her, at the age of 17, she had everything going for her. Beautiful woman, active, horse-riding tennis player, dives into the Chesapeake Bay, miscalculates the depth of the water, breaks her neck. Um, she's paralyzed from the shoulders down. She's in her 70s today, and when she was asked, what do you most look forward to? She said, this, this is what I want to do. She said, I want to go to heaven, but... I know it doesn't work this way, she said, but I want to take my wheelchair with me. And I want to talk with Jesus about this wheelchair. 
and how it reminded me, do not be tied to this world. Thank you, Jesus, that it reminds me not to be tired or tied to this world. And then, he went, then she said, and I want to see Jesus throw that wheelchair straight into hell. I told that to my two sons with diabetes, Josh and Caden, and they're like, I want to do that with my pump. I wonder if Jesus would let us to do that. There are benefits to the flesh and the grave. As hard as they are to admit, our flesh reminds us to long for what is next, and the grave declares we must be ready for what is next. Last week... We talked a lot about why we should be excited about the end, and we're going to do the same thing today. We're continuing on as Paul is trying to convince the unbeliever in the church that Jesus is actually resurrected, and so will you and I be if we are in Christ. And so today, being Father's Day, we have a one-point sermon. I've never preached a one-point sermon. I have no idea how long a one-point sermon takes. So we'll be done in 15 to 25 minutes. So let's see what the Word of God has to say. Why we should be excited about the end. It's because we get to be resurrected too. We learned last week. Christ is the first fruits. Then it is coming. Those who belong to Christ, those who are in Christ get to go too. The end of all things is coming, he says. And, and right now, Jesus is in the process of putting every single rule, every authority, every power, every enemy under our feet, or excuse me, under his feet on our behalf. That's what he's doing right now. And then comes the end. And that's when he destroys death, this thing that we are, we're afraid of. Yet it is our entrance into everlasting eternity with Jesus. I reminded you last week, this is going to be a terrifying moment for most, the day where we die and have to stand before our maker. It's terrifying for most because they're not in Christ. They are not prepared for that moment, but for some, and I pray it's everyone in this room, it is going to be the most joyous occasion. Today, today, Paul continues. Paul continues. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. The thing, the thing, we need, the thing that I really had struggled to wrap my mind, mind around is this. Paul is addressing a church that clearly had people in that did not believe in the resurrection, a physical resurrection. And so he has spent the last 34 plus handful of other verses trying to convince them, hey, look, you need to believe in this because it is actually true. Now, how do I take that and how do I translate, how do I that into a message to a room full of people who mostly believe? I'm just assuming there may be one or two or three, hopefully no more, that still struggle with believing that there is actually a physical existence after death. How do I take this message that was intended for the skeptic and the scoffer and turn it into a message that fits our body today. Well, I hope if you're a skeptic, you leave here convinced that Christ has been resurrected and you will be one too, or you will be also one day. 
But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you receive the truth of the resurrection, there are so many things Paul says in here that are full on straight up encouraging words for you and me. So let's see what he has to say. All right, here we go. Look at chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? All right, so let's suppose it happened this way. Paul wrote a letter. So he wasn't standing face to face. But let's just imagine, Paul, you're the Corinthian church, and Paul shows up, and he says, he he spends 14 chapters. Within those 14 chapters of correction, he he continues to splatter, Christ crucified, risen from the dead, here and there. Then he comes, and he spends the first 34 verses of chapter 15 trying to convince them of the resurrection, okay, that Christ is risen and that we're going to be with him one day. And he says... Okay, and he says, okay, I've just explained all that to you right now. Are there any questions? He just went through 14 and a half chapters declaring to you everything you needed to hear, coming to the culminating truth that Christ is risen. Are there any questions? Here's what I see happening. Some squirming going on in the seats. And Jesus goes, or excuse me, Paul goes, hey, there are no stupid questions. No stupid questions. So are there any questions? And you see some shuffling around and, and you see one guy who's willing to raise his hand and ask the question that everybody wants to know. So tell me again, how are the dead raised? And uh, with what kind of body do they come? Because we're going to learn in a moment They really didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they're probably thinking like, based on what they were taught, I wonder, I wonder if I can come back as like a a silverback gorilla. Because my friend and I, we were arguing one day over if you put in a cage, a silverback gorilla and a a Bengal tiger, which one's going to win? I believe the silverback gorilla is going to win. So you know what? If I have any say into what happens with what Paul is saying, resurrection from the dead, I don't know how I'm coming back because I know people are burned to death and how is the Lord ever going to put together their burned body? And so I want to come back as a silverback gorilla because I know they win. They'll take, they'll take a Bengal tiger. And I can see the guy raising his hand asking that question. And Paul's like, for real? I just spent the last how much time declaring to you the resurrection of Christ and that you will be risen again one day too in the flesh? And this is the kind of question you ask? Clearly, that's not the way it went. But look at Paul's response when he says, you foolish person. You foolish person. I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of being called foolish. But the one that was willing to pose the question, Paul says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? He says, you foolish person. And here's what I hear him saying. Stop, stop in your unbelief. Your foolishness is equaling unbelief. I want you to believe. Here's why Paul, here's what Paul was dealing with. 
a group of people that were taught by Corinthian society, the Greeks, that yes, we believe in life after death, but not physically, it's just spiritual. Even Jewish rabbis were believed that we are born of both body and spirit, but they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, the physical resurrection of the dead. The spirit returns to God and the body returns to dust. Here's what they were likely thinking. And I can relate to that, except for what I've been taught over the course of my entire life. If I put myself in their culture and receiving what they had been taught, here's what I'm thinking. Wait a minute. I watched my wife die for five weeks. I watched her face sink into itself, her eyes sink into her head, her cheeks. I watched her fade away. I smelled the smell of death in the room, and that was 23 years ago. What in the world is left of her for Christ to raise from the dead? Can't believe that. Can't believe it. All right, maybe she's there in the spirit. I can agree with that, but she is not there in the flesh. It could be someone who has witnessed a friend or a family member being burned, ashes, into the atmosphere. No way. Can't believe in resurrection of the dead. There's no way that's coming back from the dead. Jesus can't do that. God can't do that. Maybe they lost someone at sea, and after dying, their body was consumed by any number of sea creatures to be deposited all over the ocean by currents and waves and travel of fish and so forth. No way. No way. That's why they were struggling to believe that there is actually a physical resurrection. So, last night, I'm sitting with my friend Josh and my wife on the deck. I hear my neighbors by their fire. And they're sitting by the fire and they're talking. And so Wendy and I decided when our evening was finished, we'd go over and say hi and good night. And so we went over and I, we said hi. And uh, they said, and, and one of the neighbors said, hey, I know why you didn't come tonight because you preached tomorrow. Is that right? Because when they have a fire and we don't go over, it's typically because I preach the next morning. I got to go to bed before they're ready. So anyhow, all that aside, Lisa goes, what are you preaching on? In front of all these people sitting around the fire. And I'm like, well, here we go. <laughs> and, and when I stand here and I say, we are going to be raised from the dead physically to you, it's easy. And not only is it easy, it seems more believable when you're teaching people that actually receive that truth. I'm sitting, I'm standing in a circle that I don't know what they believe. So I said, well, Tomorrow, I'm I'm preaching on the physical resurrection of the dead. That after we die, a day will come where we will be reunited with our physical bodies in a glorified form. Really? I said, yeah. How's that? And I said, well, understand this. I get all, because it's already starting to sound absolutely out of this world unbelievable as it's coming out of my mouth. Well, well, God created us to be in physical relationship with him, like Adam and Eve. 
Walking with him in the garden, physically speaking, Adam made a poor choice. He brought sin into this world. Now we all die and we stand separated from him. Christ died on the cross. He has risen again and he is one day going to come back and take us and restore us to our physical body so we can be in physical relationship with him like Adam and Eve were before the fall. Wow. One said, I really like that. But here's what I'm learning. Unless you grow up in the teachings of the scriptures, this is such a foreign concept to you that you believe, okay, I believe in an afterlife, but physically speaking, and the point Paul is trying to make here and in this passage is, yes, physically speaking. You know, when I look at Paul, when I look at Paul addressing these people in this moment, the Corinthian church, I feel exasperated for him. Do you ever wonder why Paul didn't just give up? Do you ever wonder why he didn't just give up? These hard-shelled, hard-hearted individuals that were skeptical and scoffing at the truth of the resurrection. Why didn't Paul just wash his hands, dust off his feet, and leave? Have you ever felt that way with someone? I'm sure Paul felt it, but he also understood his calling. Even, even, Paul knew God knows who are his. And Paul could have said, you know what? This is in God's hands now, I'm done. But he didn't. He stayed after it. He persisted. He went after them, continuing to try and convince them with the truth that Christ is risen and so will you be in the flesh. What you are will come to an end and what you will be will last forever. That's the guts of the message today. What you are will come to an end and what you will be will last forever. Why should I be so excited about the end? Remember, there's only excitement from the end because, for the end because Christ has been resurrected. So let's see what Paul also says. After he says in verse 36, you foolish person, what you sow, he, he says this, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. When I read that passage, I think, I, I know I ask the question myself, so I'm assuming there are some others in here that will be asking the same question. Okay, okay, so... So, what I sow does not come to life unless it dies. I know this according to what Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthian church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, I am now in relationship with Christ. I am in Christ. And what he told them in the second letter is, therefore, the old is gone. The old me is gone. And behold, the new has come. But here's what Paul is yes, the answer is yes, that is true. But in the context of the passage, when he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, this is what he means. As he is comparing us today to a seed, that when our seed dies and passes away, the beauty of what we become after the resurrection, in the resurrection, far 
far outweighs anything that we would look like, any way that we would act here on earth. So he uses the seed, and he refers to a grain of wheat or a kernel of corn or something like that. But I don't, my sanctuary, the place where I go for peace in Grand Haven is on my deck behind our house, so attached to the back of our house. What provides canopy and shelter and beauty over our deck are two trees. One is a maple, really big, really old, and one is a beech tree. That's the biggest one, so that's the example I'm going to use. I remember as a kid going around the forest with my parents picking up beech trees, and we watched a show one evening eating beech nuts. There's nothing spectacular about one beech nut. You can throw it away and never give a thought to it. But once it is thrown away and it takes root in the ground, it turns into some variation, some varieties of beech trees can grow up to 400 years old. Well, this tree is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So the point Paul is trying to make, your life right now is this small and means nothing. But in the resurrection, this is what it turns into. This most magnificent thing that declares the glory of the Lord. So let's marry that with, but I'm a new creation in Christ today. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Guess what else that tree does for me? While I still look forward, for me, looking forward to, the, to being a, an eternal, um, an eternal um, new creation in Christ, I still... I'm a new creation in Christ today. So when I look at that beech tree, I see all of the beauty and the glory of the green and the healthy branches and the healthy trunk. But guess what else it does? It makes a mess of my deck that requires being blown off and washed multiple times throughout the year because it is an imperfect tree that is still in the process of taking on the likeness of Christ Branches falling, that's what we are, even as we are a new creation in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit drawing us into eternity where we'll look like a perfect beech tree, so to speak. But here, we are in the process of still declaring the glory of the Lord while we are attached to this nasty flesh and broken branches are falling off and laying on Todd's deck and making a whole mess of it. You are going to die someday And you're no longer going to represent your flesh. You're going to represent in the fullness of eternity the glory of the Lord as he gives you your perfect and resurrected body. The seed is very influential. means nothing. The tree is very influential and means nothing everything. What you are is going to come to an end, and what you will be will last forever. So tell me something. You have been provided with this seed that you're sitting in right now, your physical body. What is it you don't like about it? What is it you don't like about who you are today? Look at verses 38 through 41. But God gives, but God gives it a body, this seed, as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly body is of another. 
Verse 41 says, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for the stars different from stars from star and glory. Paul continues to address the skeptic and he also addresses what I'd like to just call the defeated believer in Christ. You feel like you have nothing to offer. The weight of this world continues to press, press down on you. You feel insignificant and worthless. Just as there were skeptics in the day, there were those that believed and were defeated. Those who needed to hear this, how precious they are to God. So how are you broken and unsatisfied today with the life that the Lord has given you? I wish, if you've seen my blood son, Caden, he's six foot five. I have to round up to be five foot ten. I'm like five, nine and three quarters. Rounding up to be five foot ten, he's six foot five. I'm like, Lord, can you imagine what you could have done with me if I was six foot five? Come on. My head goes back to those three ladies from, um, from the Oklahoma softball team declaring on the stage in front of a national audience who Christ is. They're gifted with such incredible ability. The Lord gave them a platform. Lord, if I was six foot five, I could have been on a platform like that too. He said, no. He said, no, that wouldn't work with you because of your thought process regarding that answers that question. No, I couldn't use you like that. So I'm making you five, nine and three quarters. Feel free to round up if you want, but you're not five, 10. I wish I was taller. You know what? As a kid, I had big feet. I had a, my feet grew to like size 11 in seventh grade and people made fun of me. So I needed size 11, but I'd wear size 10 and it would hurt my feet because I was so embarrassed about the size of my feet. And I'm like, Lord, can you imagine what you would have done with me if my feet would have grown at a regular pace? I'm having fun with that, but I know there are some of us that tend to think that way. If I had this, if I was this way, Paul says, God gives you your body. He makes you who you are as he has chosen He is determined for you to be the way you are today. I wish I didn't hurt. My knees hurt. You know why my knees hurt? It's probably because I eat too much. My heart palpitates. Why does my heart palpitate? Expressions of a fallen world. God determined my heart needed to palpitate So he could teach me, you don't have to worry about anything, Todd. I have this all taken care of. I worry too much, so my heart palpitates. God has given each of us, as he has chosen, the body he has determined for us to have. Adam brings sin into this world. He brought sin into this world, and we continue to perpetuate it. Yes, we wish we were taller, but even more importantly, we still go after things in this world that he didn't intend us to have. And because of the aches, a lot of the times, because of the aches and pains we experience here, it's a declaration of fallen world, and you go after things you shouldn't, and you worry about things you shouldn't. So you don't like the seed that you are. 
understand this, our brokenness should continue to point us to needing and wanting something beyond. Be convinced it is better on the other side than it is here. You can remove all the pain and all the ugly. You can remove it all and experience moments of absolute wonder on this earth. But the thing is, even the experiencing of that in this earth still pales in comparison to what is in store for us when we go to heaven. You don't like your seed? If the Corinthian church didn't like it, they could have, they could have joined with King David and said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. They could have gone all the way back to Genesis chapter one and they could have learned that God made man in his own image after his likeness and he determined that we would have dominion over the face of the earth. And all of these ones here in that handful of verses that that Paul is describing, there are fish, there are birds, there are um, livestock, the whole list goes on and on. He says, I want you, you are the crown of my creation, I want you to have dominion over them. So God created man, how? In his own image, and in his image, God has created them both male and female. And God blessed them. He said, be, multi- be fruitful and multiply. And then he laid down his creation in front of himself, and he said, it is very, very good, because I have made you man. Final and the crown of my creation. You are made in the image of God. They could have turned to Isaiah chapter 43 and they could have heard God say this to them through Isaiah. You, with all your flaws, with all your brokenness, with all your nasty, with all your shortness, with all your big feet, he can look at you and say, you are precious to me. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. If you are not happy with the seed, the body that you have today, settle back into the arms of Jesus and know you are precious in his sight. And don't worry about your height, don't worry about your big feet, or whatever it is that you deal with. You are made in the image of God, and he loves you. What you are is going to come to an end and what you will be is going to last forever. Listen, you are now, will you be? So listen to that. You are now, will you be? With Christ. Thus it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. We are of Adam. We are now. We live now. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That is Jesus. Adam gave us our natural life. Jesus gives our spiritual life. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. You must be born first, and clearly you all are because you're here. And then the spiritual, as you determine to put your faith in relationship in Jesus Christ. Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. That was Adam. That's you and me. That's where we will return. The second man is from heaven. That is Jesus. You are now. Will you be with Jesus? Verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. We are now. 
the big question remains, will you be a forever and brand new creation in Christ in all of eternity with an unscarred, untainted, perfect body to experience physical relationship with God? In verse 49, he says, just as we have been born, or just as we have borne the image of man, we look like Adam. One day, the day is coming, and, and we return to dust. One day is coming when we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Listen, what you are will come to an end, and what you will be will last forever. Why is this such a big deal? This is why it's such a big deal. And this is what we're going to wrap with. My mom died in December, and as her breathing started to change, I happened to be in the room to watch her pass into eternity in spirit. I leaned down next to her ears, and I said, hey, mom, I wonder what it's like to walk barefoot on pure streets of gold. I said to her, I said, hey, I wonder what it feels like to walk in perfect grass. And I said, wait a minute, you're not even going to know what that's like because then you lift your eyes up and you see your Savior Jesus and you see standing behind Jesus, your sisters, you're seeing Andrea, you're seeing Chanel, you're seeing, you're seeing, you're seeing. And you walk up, you have no idea what's under your feet because you're being swept into the arms of Jesus. There are some that will say, my mom is in the spirit right now. As the writer of Hebrews says, when we go home to be with Jesus, now before we receive our resurrected body, we are there in spirit. I don't know what an in-spirit hug with Jesus feels like. But this is why the resurrection is such a big deal. Because before the fall, God created man to be in physical relationship with him. Look at it in Genesis chapter 1. Adam and Eve, and 2, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God physically. Their fall disrupted that, brought corruption into the world, and eternal physical separation from relationship with the Father. The resurrection determines that one day we will be in full and restored Eden-like experience, relationship with God, where we will physically hug him, he will physically hug us, we will high-five him, be in forever restored relationship with him. That's why the resurrection is such a big deal. That's why Paul doesn't give up as he continues to declare and continue to go after the skeptic and the scoffer. Believe in the resurrection. Be in Christ. It's return to garden life. So if there are three things that you could take away from today's message, do this. Don't give up on the skeptic in your life. Continue as Paul does with the Corinthian church. Go after them. Be patient with them just as he is with you. Be settled with who you are. Be settled with how he has created you to be, knowing that he is using you to remind yourself of your great need for him and for eternity with him. And finally, if you're a skeptic today, I encourage you, be sure of the resurrection. Continue to seek the face of the Lord and ask him to remove the veil from your eyes and help you to see the truth of the resurrection. 
be sure you will be resurrected. Listen, D.A. Carson puts it this way. I am not suffering from anything that a good resurrection cannot fix. Whatever you're suffering with today, the sin in your heart, the pain in your knees, one day is coming where the resurrection is going to fix it all, and we praise God for that. Lord, may your word be what is spoken. May your word be what is convicting. And Lord, we ask that you do a mighty work in the heart of each one that is here. Draw the skeptic ever unto yourself. Bring comfort to the one that is, that is experiencing pain and sorrow and temptation. And we ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.